0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is basking in not one, but two unexpected away victories at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, so... Both of us quite smug. One of us still quite hungover. I'm Kevin Day. He's Liverpool <laughs> University's Kieran Maguire, laughing like that because he's the one who's not hungover. Good, good day out, Kieran and Wolves. It was it was a wonderful day
1: out. Uh, it, again, away day pubs. We we went into one, and the food there it was beef stew and bread, and that's <laughs> that's what I want on a menu beef stew and bread um, and it was absolutely gorgeous and the Wolves fans were fantastic you know fen- friendly gregarious taking the mickey out of us and, and vice versa yeah and, and the weather was sunny and, and we, yeah and we, we we put in a performance as well so yeah perfect day out
0: yeah last time I was in Wolverhampton a couple of seasons ago we went into a pub there's security at the door we said alright away fans fine yeah he said yeah just yeah, don't take the piss uh, yeah. and, and ten minutes later, he was tapping my mate on the shoulder, saying, "What did I say about not taking a piss?" Because he was <laughs> trying to get served by waving a twenty quid note over the over the, towards the bar, saying, "Come on, love, it's proper cash money here." Yeah. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> <laughs> One of the very many reasons why fans outside London don't like London football fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have it's questions day, Kieran. Uh, I, said, I, I just realised I said you have a nice day in Wolves. The place is called Wolverhampton, isn't it? So. Um, It's questions day, Kieran, uh, but we do have a big news story and that relates to Chelsea because it looked like we had a winner in the Chelsea owners race, but now we have a, a dark horse coming up on the rails. Yeah, we we've got a bit of a one of them taking place really? here. Uh, Google that.
1: Uh, unless you're a Tory MP, you might you might mistake it for you might end up on a different website in error, of course.
0: <laughs> um, oh no, to be fair, you might end up on a tractor website first. <laughs> that's uh, right. Before before you accidentally find it. How how you can you can go from tractors... We've, we've all made that mistake, here, haven't we? Exactly. Just, hey, let's not mock. Let's not yeah, mock. Which of us hasn't been researching tractors and found ourselves on an eye-wateringly hardcore porn site? But as you say, let's not mock, Kieran, there, no, but for the grace of God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um,
1: so, uh, yes, uh, it, it's... The the word on the street, and this has been revealed by uh, quite a few journalists, is that the, the Ted Bowley... Uh, uh, bid has been the one which is preferred, and I think we'd said that that was the one that caused the least least problems yeah. because the two other bids would both involve some of the owners selling existing stakes in in football clubs, uh, in, including uh, your, your guys at Palace, I did. Um, and and also uh, the, uh, the Pagliuca owns fifty five percent of Atalanta, so so this was the uh, was the least complicated bid. The, the the vibes I'm picking up is that they were they were broadly of the same amount, and um, and everybody said okay, right, we will have to get used to, to Ted Bowley and what has he got to say and a lot of interest, and then from nowhere comes uh, a revelation from uh, Jim Ratcliffe, the, the richest man in the country uh, who owns Ineos, the, the, the very, very successful industrial and chemicals company. Um, and he says, oh, yeah, I, this is this is a British bid for a British club. And um, I, it's not 2.5 billion pounds. It's 4.25 billion. And people go, hold on, hold on, Jim. You said, mm. you said a couple of years ago, that there, that they're, there's a mug who is willing to pay two billion for Chelsea, and I'm not that mug. So we're going, well, yeah. Where on earth has this come from? And and he's now sort of saying, well, yeah, I'm, I'm nearly seventy years old. Uh, you know, I've I've got enough money to to shake out of the tree. I might was going, I, I want to spend it. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I do like Chelsea, although he used to be a Manchester United fan. Um, so he, he's, I think, it's a touch of the David Mellors about him there uh in that yeah we we, we couldn't support another club hmm. yeah i, I just I, I yeah that that bit of it i don't get but uh but he, yeah, he was he's born in oldham as well so why are he supporting chelsea people in mm. um so so yeah this this figure of 4.25 billion came out um and then so well, well, yeah that that does really blow it out of the water um then let's take a look at the, let's take a look at it in a bit more detail and it turns out that the bid is 2.5 billion and he's promising to spend another 1.75 bill um, over the course of the next decade or so in relation to infrastructure, i.e. doing something with Stamford Bridge, which we, which we keep going on about, and also investing in the team. Um, and, and I think Bowley had said, well, we're, we're going to spend at least a billion. So I think that there's not a huge amount of difference uh, in, in relation to the bids in terms of a monetary perspective. Um, the Bowley. The Bowley team—they—they um, they have sort of been through the beauty parade. They've—I they, think they've spoken to Chelsea pitch owners. They've—they've uh, they've spoken to the Chelsea Supporters Trust to try to get them on board in terms of you know, look, we're good guys. We're not committing to the—you know, there's no chance of another Super League taking place, um, and, and we'll commit to all of the things that the that the fans want in terms of. Protection and sustainability of Chelsea Football Club, which which is the right thing to do. It looks as if uh, the Jim Ratcliffe bid has completely bypassed them. Not spoken to any of the fan groups, and but they have gone directly to the club as opposed to Rain, who are the uh, who are the bankers. So it's uh, it, it, it's a slight it's a slight complication. It's mm. a slight fly in the ointment, shall we say. Um, uh, but uh, I still think that that Bowley are going to be the the preferred bidders because they've they've gone through the right process. But in business, you you never say never until the contract's signed.
0: Yeah, uh, two things here, Kieran. Uh, first of all, to avoid uh, tweets, there is a Ted Bowley, but I believe we're talking about Todd Bowley, aren't we? Oh yes, sorry. Yeah, sorry I'm. I'm. I think there's another Ted in American football. Yes, yeah, we yeah. To, so. We are coming on to another Ted in American football, and trust me, it's the last time we're going to be talking about that <laughs> Ted in American football. <laughs> um, but the secondly, Kieran, this I, I'm I'm slightly confused as to why this Jim Ratcliffe bid is even being uh, allowed, because I mean, technically, if if he's made the bid to the club he's made it to Abramovich essentially why why would he be allowed even if he's sort of doubling the money involved why would he be allowed to bid outside the the normal process it seems to make a mockery of, of, of the process that was set up to to come up with a preferred bidder that someone can just turn up at the last minute and say right well, here I'm doubling the bid I'm going straight to the club and making the offer to them because surely you know the government and the rain bank would would be unhappy about this would they? Um, Yeah, I I don't think Rain will be over impressed.
1: I think the government's quite relaxed on it, because what's going to happen is they are effectively the backstop in all of this. So they say, you go through all the normal process, the Premier League go through the process in terms of satisfying the owners and directors test. um, And then we've got the final yes or no, uh, in in the sense that we can block the bid, Um, as can Abramovich. Because ultimately, these are his shares. Remember, these these are of shares course, which yes. are owned by Roman Abramovich in his company. Uh, the government has, has frozen them. It has not nationalized them. They've oh, have not gross. taken okay. possession without compensation. Now, what the government has said, um, and we can all understand where they're coming from here, um, the proceeds should not be going to Roman Abramovich. Yeah. Um, there, there's another complication um, in that late last week, uh, Abramovich said, oh, by the way, I'm, I want another five hundred million quid in respect of the bid, and people go, "Oh, what? What? what, what where, where's this come from?" Uh, he said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's for charity, mates." Um, uh, <laughs> and we, uh, what? And then 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 we're starting to sort of delve into things a little bit more. And originally, Abramovich uh, had said that he was not going to take any money in respect of the loans, but this was before the sanctions were started. And again, sort of. Noises I'm picking up from from some people. He's now saying, "Well, because you put sanctions on me, I do want my loan back." So, right. uh, oh, right. yeah, okay. it, it's 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 messy, um, and and this is what we've said from all time. You know, there's, there has to be transparency. There's got to be an awful lot of scrutiny of this because um, you know he he bought the club for 140 million quid. but you know, Nobody wants him walking away. With with any of the proceeds, given given his connections
0: to Putin, mm. I, I suppose as well. One last thing, uh, from the government's perspective, they would be quite happy for an English takeover, wouldn't they? Of Chelsea, I would guess, or a British one at least.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. It would. Uh, I, I think it would dilute the number of American owners because um, because I think there has been a bit of concern that they they they're sort of eight. It could be nine of them soon. Yeah, you know, yeah, sort yeah. of having you know direct or indirect involvement. Uh, uh, and, and then you start to reach that critical mass where, you know, could they collectively start to do things which are in the best interests of owners who are, should we say, not necessarily football fans, but who are investors first and foremost? Um, and that goes completely against the grain of everything that the fan led review stands for um, and everything that, you know, I think football fans in this country stand for.
0: Yeah, I, just, I also wonder what the atmosphere is going to be like in the boardroom at Sellers Park for the next game. When the Americans turn up, and Steve Parrish went, oh yeah, all right, lads, how did the bid for the uh, other club go? Because <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> that was the scenario that we'd seen that Harris from Blitzer would buy, <clears> oh <throat> Harris would buy Chelsea, and then Texter would take over at Palace. So again, it complicates yeah. issues at Palace as well as Chelsea. Uh, questions, Kieran, and as you uh, hinted, the first question is about uh, Ted. Mm. It comes mm. from R.J. Viverberg. Uh, Thank you for this question, RJ. You may not be aware of the circumstances, but RJ says, (laughs) uh, I have a light-hearted question. I'll be the judge. Well, it's not going to be answered in a light-hearted way, is it? (laughs) I have a light-hearted question to warm up your listeners just before you dive into the more hardcore questions about amortization. Apple TV Plus airs a very successful... Quite successful, I think you'll find, and in terms of viewing figures, you know, middling. <laughs> it, could, it, could, it could have be more successful, I think, if they've got some of the categories. Yeah, it. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, about a clueless American football coach called Ted Lasso, managing a fictional Premier League club called AFC Richmond. Now, why did the producers decide to go for a fictional London football club and not, for example, choose an actual London football club, such as May I Dare Say So, Kevin?, Crystal Palace the kit colours are after all identical would that have triggered some sort of fee discussion with Crystal Palace for the use of the name and on the other hand with all these American owners in the Premier League including at Palace of course the owners could have also seen this as free publicity for their football team in the attractive American market what happened here um this this is def- – I'm putting a moratorium now on Ted Lasso questions after this. C- Kieran, you can answer this one <laughs> quite freely. I'm, I, the cat has just walked into the office, so I'm going to stroke her for a couple of minutes and I'll make a guess as to when you finished 'cause finished because just in case new listeners don't know, the reason I <laughs> don't like Ted Lasso is because I was turned down for playing the part of myself. I was offered a cameo role <laughs> playing what I used to do on most of the Day 2 uh, and then <laughs> – uh, I'd, somebody else ended up playing me instead. Uh, but yes, it's an interesting question. They, it, it's clearly meant to be. Well, it's not meant to be Palace, but it's clearly Sellers Park, and it's clearly Palace's kit. So why didn't they just not call it Palace in the first place?
1: Um, well, I think first of all, the success of Ted Lasso is I mean, is unexpected. Yeah, so you know they they started off with a budget, and if they had wanted to use the name of Crystal Palace Football Club, then th- the intellectual property uh, owned by palace would come into play and they would have to pay a fee for that if they set up a fictional club called afc richmond there's no fee so there's a, there's an initial cost savings um secondly there's there would be issues uh, i think from palace's perspective because palace have existing front of shirt sponsors Arm sleeve sponsors and so on and they say well, well hold on you know what, what's happening here because if if AFC Richmond have got the name of a different firm of sponsors on their shirts isn't this taking away from our financial commitment to palace on an annual basis uh, and and they might have felt uh, unhappy with regards to that um and thirdly um it it might have made Steve parish feel slightly uneasy because um you know it, it is it is a fictional it is a it, it is a it is a very sort of you know, american sort of twee, uh you, you know sort of family style show but there are elements of what we might refer to as on it and um that fruitiness might have uh you know might have gone against the values of crystal palace itself and and it it could be that the show might have dealt with issues and resolved those issues which would have been inconsistent with the way that the crystal palace board would have wanted to have made so there would have been a blurring of the lines which i don't think would have suited the the club and also it could be that you as fans might say hold on we 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 wouldn't do that we wouldn't you know and and, um so so it, it it could be seen that there could be an element of misrepresentation of of key stakeholders in the club you know fans board of directors sponsors and so on and it's actually just easier and cheaper to to use the fictional name afc richmond uh, you know and this is this is no this is not me having a dig at palace having crystal palace's name in it would not have increased the interest in the in the product mm. in the tv series in the major markets such as such as the us because yeah, if it had been Chelsea or Manchester United, then you could not understand. And perhaps they would have paid a fortune. Palace, palace don't move the dial as far as American viewers are concerned.
0: Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, I should mention to people listening to this, that the next time you're smiling politely at Ted Lasso, remember the actor who plays the character just humiliated his wife in public by serving her with divorce papers uh, in front of TV cameras. Um uh, and that's the final mention of Ted Lasso, all right, Kieran. No, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah, and producer guy Julie note this. Yeah, Julie note this producer guy and also producer guy Julie note that that's the last time Kieran says we don't move the dial in America. I know <laughs> <laughs> at least two American Palace fans. <laughs> um, Jude um uh, Jude McCarthy, I beg your pardon, has our next question, um, and it's a kind of interesting one. It's a sort of thing that people speculate about in pubs. And Jude says, with the increasing number of foreign investors buying English clubs, how much would it take to buy all of the clubs in the Premier League or the English Football League? Who could rustle up the Reddies? Musk, Bezos, Lasso? And if either of them decided to go shopping, how many clubs or leagues could they buy? Right. Um... I, I do have a spreadsheet which
1: which deals with this <laughs> particular is. area. This, this will come as no and, surprise. would do
0: if you weren't doing a podcast, Kieran, as well, let's face it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been going well before the podcast, yeah. Um, so the, the latest valuation figures I have in respect uh, for Premier League clubs, and, and this is taking into consideration and benchmarking against the, the Chelsea bid, is that in order to buy clubs in the Premier League, uh, my estimate is £18.5 billion. Pounds. Uh, In order to buy the 24 clubs in the championship, it would be 1.2 billion. And for the whole of League One and Two, you could probably get it for 300 million. So you add all those figures together, and we're talking around about um, 20 billion pounds for the whole of the 92 clubs in the Premier League. If you were so so inclined, um, which is uh, substantially less than the cost of buying Twitter, so yeah, I think many many billion sorry many billionaires could buy it. And again, to put this into context, uh, you know we. We we like to think as the Premier League as, as being big, but um, Microsoft um, bought Activision, which is the the games company. Mm. It makes mm. uh, I don't know Call of Duty and World yeah. of Warcraft or you know, all that type of stuff, and and it spent sixty five billion dollars on a single uh, on a single computer games company. Um, uh, so that is you know, more than more than twice, probably about two and a half times what it would buy cost them to buy
0: the whole of English football. Well, that's really interesting as well, and, and it illustrates something you said right from the start: that the the actual brand, for want of a better word, the the public knowledge of the Premier League is much higher than the actual money it raises, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's it, it's a small industry with a big voice. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that I'm going to pronounce his next name correctly because it's a really cool name. If I pronounce it correctly, uh, if not, it's not. But it's Todd Crédieux. Um, C R E D E U R. I like I like to think that Todd Cridier is some kind of French Canadian backwoodsman, uh, but possibly <laughs> not. But it's a great, it's a cracking name if I've pronounced it correctly. It's also a really interesting question, as Todd says that Ellen Fokemar became the first woman ever to play for a professional men's team in the Dutch ninth tier last year. I think he said, would it be financially beneficial for a team in the championship who pays similar wages to the WSL to sign a talented female player? if she had the skills and physicality to play. The marketing, sponsorships, and global recognition could be a game-changer if it worked and wasn't seen as just a publicity stunt.
1: Yes. I, I, I contacted a, a couple of my, my good buddies on this. First of all, Craig Honeyman, who was on the show yeah. uh, recently uh, as an agent. And he says, well, if, if you take a look at the the rules, they do explicitly say this is a men's competition. Uh-huh. Oh, right, okay, um, right. So, so that would be a, a potential barrier. Could that be removed? Um, I, I spoke to uh, one of my friends at the FA, Charlotte, um, and uh, Charlotte's involved in women in football, um, and her view was there was nothing that could explicitly stop it. Ex- you know, the, there is the word competitions, mm. um, and it does refer to women's cup and league. And is there is there specific is, is there specific wording in the men's registration in the men's sport? And there is. Could there be a legal challenge to that? Um, you know, here we'd have to go. You know, um, you know we'd have to go speak to some employment lawyers. But under the Employment Equality Act, there there is an exemption for sport because um, it refers to gender effectiveness yeah. with regards to physical strength. So um, it's. It, it, it's it's an interesting one you know we, we yeah we just had the Katie Taylor fight last night yep. which was absolutely fantastic um and you know there is a there is a difference in terms of physicality but I, I don't know if, if 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 there's a woman sprinter who can who wanted to sprint against the men and she was getting the times could that go ahead I, I don't see any problem you know obviously there would be you know changing room you know uh, issues that needed yeah, to be yeah. addressed but yeah, you know that, but that that's that's not a big problem so um i, I think it would be uh I, I think it would attract a huge amount of interest and, and the club involved and clearly the player involved um would be able to to leverage on that especially in terms of sponsorship um so so it's it, it's i think it's feasible and uh i the FA presumably, you know, the FA wants to be seen as more progressive than it has been in in recent years. Um, I, I think the, the FA would have to go along with it. Mm. I mean, certainly at, at kids' football, at, you know, that you, you play mixed football yeah. at at uh, at, uh, at primary school. So,
0: so why could this not be continued? I, I suppose there will be people listening to this who, who would see, uh, the point about Katie Taylor is that she was fighting another woman. Yeah. rather than man but there are sports and there's one in particular that's one of my favorite sports which is horse racing where uh women are not only you know taking part but they're they are as good if not better than most of the male counterparts to the extent that i t v quite rightly have now stopped referring to women jockeys as women jockeys they just refer to jockeys now but yes um so there is it's it's a possible one but as you say if it were to happen the 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 fuss and the been the, yeah, the potential marketing sponsorship would be fantastic for the club involved, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. and and
1: yeah, you know, we we know there will be a kickback from a certain part of the population. Yeah. The game's gone, mate. Yeah. Uh, but if, if if somebody's good enough, yeah, that that's all that matters. Yeah, you know, we've we, we've got we, we've got uh, we've got women officials yeah, of in, involved in men's yeah. football and vice versa, yeah. um, and, and and that works because it's ultimately. It's it's a game of talent, and if you've got the talent in terms of tech, you know, in terms of technical, tactical, physicality, then then you've
0: got the talent. Yeah, and we could have the irony that we could get a um, professional woman player in the Premier League before we get a professional gay player in the Premier League because apparently there aren't any. Um, yeah, uh, Jack Warmsley says the the market for retro football shirts has boomed over the last few years, with many companies such as Classic Football Shirts being very successful. And some shirts from the 80s and 90s from the bigger clubs selling for £200 plus. Since the IP rights for these shirts belong to the manufacturer, why don't Adidas, Nike, etc. produce remakes of these shirts to sell now? I understand this may take away the value of the older shirts, but since Adidas, Nike, etc. aren't making any money from these sales anyway, it seems strange they haven't exploited this opportunity. And again, this is a, Jack's asked a question that a lot of football fans talk about. We'd all be, well, most of us, would be much happier buying modern versions of retro shirts and we would be buying the new shirt with the sponsorship plastered uh, all over the front
1: yes well i mean in answer to to jack's question that there, there is now uh, such a market because I, I think uh the owners of jd sports have some sort of arrangement and you can go i, I, I was at an airport the other day and i was, there's some sort of yeah, you know, the old school uh chelsea shirts when they were sponsored by commodore and, and these were being sold in airports so there, there is a market for that—that that sort of that, that nostalgia market. Um, I don't think that Nike and Adidas want to go down that that themselves. Purely from a, a practicality point of view, they are doing huge numbers of production runs for the new shirt. You know, they're, yeah, they're they're selling. Yeah, you know, if you're Manchester United, you're going to be you know, you're looking to sell hundreds of thousands of shirts a year. Um, and remember, Nike and Adidas. Um, are the, the, the contracted manufacturers for many, many clubs. So one of the big costs in, 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 the, uh, in, in the yarn industry um, is that of uh, setting up your production line. So, yep. you know, if, if anybody's ever worked in 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 clothing, you know, they'll say it's it's not at the actual cost of manufacturing an individual product. It's the fact that you've got to go and switch from one to the other and, and change all change all the mechanics. Um, and and for the big companies like Nike and Adidas, yeah, you know, it's it's far more convenient for them. To, to produce an extra 50,000 know, Manchester United 21, 22 shirts um, than to have to go and say, well, we're going to do every shirt that we've put out over the last 20 years. It, it simply becomes more expensive for them. Um, and and they know that there are plenty of people who just want to buy this year's shirt and they can effectively force that product. So what we're tending to get is is a, a, some sort of niche producers. But you know, in, in any World Cup year, and it is a World Cup year, mm. you will see Umbro bringing out Old school classic England shirts. Mm. And and they sell like hot cakes. Uh you know, yeah, we, we all remember sort of the Gaza shirt and the Gary Lineker shirt and you know from eighty six and ninety and so on. Um, and they do actually sell in big numbers. And somebody does own the uh the rights to the Admiral brand as well. Right. And and that that's that's quite messy because, you know, again, the sort of that you know, that classic seventy-four, seventy-eight shirt that you know with the uh with the sort of the blue and the red across the chest, yeah, that was that was really a you know, a, a fantastic nostalgic shirt for the likes of us. Yeah. Not for Finlay, as you can hear. Um, <laughs> but um, he's, just walked, he's just walked out in disgust. <laughs> I don't know, don't know why, he's got, why he's got it in for, for that particular shirt. Um, well, he's a European dog, Kieran. Yeah, he's, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, well, he's, he's an English sir. Yeah,
0: oh, that's true. Yeah, he's, he he, should he's, be ashamed. He's, a,
1: he's a proud, proud
0: English brooch. Should be ashamed of himself then.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so... So yeah, you know, I, I think it's just a it, it's just a cost issue. But but we are seeing more and more of these retro shirts in terms of their value on the the second hand market. Um, you know, every, everybody can tell the difference between a, an original and and a, and a new new model. Yes. So it, it, it will have no impact upon because these are seen as you know as as rarities. Uh, you know, I I, I I know a friend that's paid over a thousand pounds for a shirt of a particular club um and uh you know he he would do so without blinking you yeah. know because it's because if it, if you're cuz cuz that's because you're a collector yeah he's never going to wear it yeah of course not. yeah, yeah it, it just goes into the uh it it get, goes into the the vast repertoire or so the vast repository that he has and uh, his his very uh, his his very very patient wife louise just just smiles every time he does it yeah
0: i i remember doing a thing on match of the day with some norwegian fans when we flew over from Oslo, and uh, waiting for them afterwards took some time because one of them, uh, every Liverpool game he goes to, and he goes to every Liverpool home game, he would get a shirt uh, of that match, and he would have the score of the game printed on the shirt in the club shop afterwards with the scorers. And, and when I said to his friends, "Well, that's you know that's dedication," he said, "No, no, he gets so pissed he can't remember what the games, what happened at the game, so <laughs> he, he buys a oh, shirt to remind." Him. So I said, oh, and I jokingly said, "What does his wife think of that?" He just went, He's not married. <laughs> um, uh, but the other the other point kieran on that i suppose if adidas and nike were to start making classic shirts from the 80s and 90s some of the sponsors from those times like crown paints for example i believe are still going so they, they you know they would be getting free sponsorship as well wouldn't they which again uh would be nice for them but would complicated would muddy the waters a little bit in terms of recreating these shirts wouldn't it
1: Yes, and you can understand the the present sponsors being a bit aggrieved yeah. if, uh, especially um, given that some of the kit manufacturers actually run the mega stores for some of our biggest clubs. Ah.
0: Oh, okay, nice.
1: So, so, so you could see if you were Nike and you were presently running the the Chelsea store, for example, you wouldn't want some of the the old Commodore. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and umbro yeah. shirts because because that's effectively giving give, giving uh yeah, retail space to to a company which you see as a competitor yeah and i appreciate that yeah that, that nike did actually buy umbro at one point mm. in time but um so so you, you can see from that yeah they they are trying to sell the the newest products at the highest prices and they they might be a bit uh, a bit aggrieved if we go down that route
0: our next question comes from David Holiday. And again, it taps into one of those subjects that football fans are particularly interested in, um, moan about a lot. And it's a question about ticket pricing, says David Holiday. David says, I was watching championship highlights recently. I was struck by the number of empty seats at nearly all the three o'clock games, Uh, in particular Bristol City, my hometown, which had roughly 10,000 spare seats for their game at Barnsley. Checking the ticket prices, it seemed like the cheapest was going for £28. Surely it would make sense for the clubs to slash ticket prices and hope to sell more tickets and make more money from drink and merchandise. Where's the crunch point between ticket prices and attendance? It seems like many clubs would rather have a half-full ground of people paying huge ticket prices, and surely the EFL sponsors want grounds as full as possible. It's an interesting one, Kieran, because Palace are one of many clubs for cup games, for example, in the early rounds... For example, against Hartlepool and Stoke, the ticket prices were roughly half what they were and, and the, the game was sold out for one of them and nearly sold out for the other. So it, it does seem to make more sense to charge a little bit less and get more people in, doesn't it? it yes, it does. And, and some form of, of dynamic pricing, you know, sort
1: of the easy jet model uh, potentially, does, does make sense. Um, and, and you're absolutely right to say for, for cup matches, which are a one-off, there is, there is a very good case for, for reduced prices. And I think, to be fair, a lot of clubs did that uh, you know, to the extent where I think Liverpool did it a couple of years ago when they were playing at Shrewsbury at home uh, yes. at Anfield, and yes. you know, Klopp, Klopp said, "Well, actually, I'm going to put out the kids because he was he was sulking at the time with, yes. uh, with with the Football Association." And I know that the people at Shrewsbury were actually very upset. They said, "Well, you know, this is costing us money as well, you know, and, and we are the the potential biggest beneficiary of this." Um, I think there's, there's there's a few things. First of all, there has what we refer to in economics as the price elasticity of demand. Um, and what it says is that if you reduce prices by 10%, then you've got to increase the number of people buying the product by more than 10% to increase overall revenue. So so if if we take a look at, uh, and I think I might have got the, the Bristol City and Barnsley home and away the wrong way around here, but I, I'd had a look. Um, I, I googled Bristol City versus Barnsley and, and up popped a pic, picture of a Massey Ferguson for some strange reason. Um, <laughs> no idea why. Pure, purely by accident, just as well, the, you know, the, 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 you know, the Baroness was looking over my shoulder saying, why, why can't you be like other men and watch porn <laughs> instead of watching practice? Said, what's, what's going on with you, Maguire? Yeah. Um, but they at the at the home match for Bristol City versus Barnsley, the the attendance um, or perhaps the pretendence, as as they yes. should now be called, yes, yes, because because clubs quote the number of tickets sold well, was nineteen thousand eight hundred um, and ninety seven, and if if we take a look at that, cl- clubs are a little bit coy with regards to their number of season tickets sold, but. I estimate that, uh, sort of reading a couple of things about Bristol, they've probably got about 14,000 season tickets. Bristol, uh, Barnsley would have brought, say, 1,500 to that match. So that's 15 and a half that. So you've got around about 4,000 walk-up fans. Now that's at £28 a pound. Mm. If you reduce the price by £3, you've reduced the price by, th- by, by 10%, you've got to somehow persuade another 400 people in Bristol to watch a team, which which at the time had not won a home match yeah. for seventeen games yeah. or something like that. So, if, if if clubs are doing well, that is the biggest driver. Trying to actually persuade other people to come along and watch a match is a bit more of a challenge for for Palace versus Hartlepool, for Palace versus Stoke. You, remember, you've got that you've got that huge army of season ticket holders who are thinking well if they price it right i'll, I'll go along yeah and, and and that's that's another consideration as far as efl matches are concerned yet if the let's say that the average price to watch a match if you're a bristol city season ticket holder works out at 22 pounds a pop and then all of a sudden the club's saying oh we're, we're selling tickets for walk-up fans 15 pounds a pop you're going hold on Hold on! What's going on here? Yeah, you know, I've given my money in good faith, not knowing whether this club was going to have a good season or a bad season. And I also gave that—I you know, bought that season ticket in 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 May and June, you know, it, without even knowing what the, what the player recruitment was going to be. Um, so, um, you know, you, you can see season ticket holders thinking, "Well, if, if the club's now going to adopt a policy of selling individual match tickets for." On a regular basis, for lower than what I'm paying as a season ticket holder, and you know, you you, you when you when you work out the price of a season ticket, you say, right, in it, it, you know you, you've got what was it yeah 23 home matches in in the EFL, you've got 19 home matches in the Premier League. The chances are I'm going to miss two or three of them due to you know cra- crazy kickoff times or other commitments. So you, you can work out oh, I, I'm I'm losing out here to the walk up fans who. Who you know by definition are are not investing as much money yeah. in, as me in the club, and therefore perhaps I might not renew the season ticket because I know yeah if you know, if you're, if you're a Bristol season, City season ticket you know you, you can go to practically every game as a walk up yeah uh, you know, <coughs> yeah okay if, you know, the, the last couple of games at the end of the season if, yeah. if they're yeah, running for promotional or playoffs might be a bit more difficult but but in general you you you've got enough spare capacity there so it it could actually put off. A a part of the supporter
0: group who are absolutely critical to the cash flows of the club. Mm. <clears throat> to Steve Parish's credit, as well, one of the reasons the tickets for the Hartlepool game were relatively modestly priced was that somebody at Hartlepool pointed out that you know this was their biggest game for a long time. Thousands of Hartlepool fans wanted to travel, but told Steve Parrish what the normal ticket price was in in League Two um, yeah. and how difficult it would be for a lot of them to pay the sort of prices that Palace charged on a, on a weekly basis, which so he was quite happy to to reduce the price so more Hartlepool fans could come. And in fact, we ended up paying for the travel for away fans at Hartlepool. Yes, which that was is, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, which is a gesture that Hartlepool fans really liked and so did Palace fans. Um, our next question comes from Nicholas Mitchum. And it's Mitchum with a U, as in Robert Mitchum, uh, which is handy, because I was talking to a cameraman at Elstree just a couple of weeks ago who told me that his father used to be an electrician at Elm back in the day and Robert Mitchum uh, came over to film there and, and took a liking to his father and uh, wanted to sample working class English life and took a liking to pubs um, and <laughs> it led to uh, about four weeks into the shooting of the film uh, uh, a ring on the doorbell at his father's house and that his mother answered and his mother shouting oh my god is that bloody Robert Mitchum again and <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> which made me laugh. <laughs> it made me laugh. So the idea is world-weary woman going, oh, for God's sake. Right? You know, Ted, Robert Mitchum's here. Um, but Nicholas Mitchum's question is uh, topical, although our waiting list for questions is such as could be from the last time Norwich got relegated, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, Nicholas says, for a club like Norwich, do they get parachute payments for each year? they went down. So payments, for example, from 2017, 18, 21, or just the last time they are relegated. And again, this is a, one of those technical questions that people ask. It's like, if it, are they still getting the parachute payment from last time they got relegated when they get relegated now? No,
1: they're not. And, and this is uh, an, an area which I think causes quite a bit of beef between the yes. Premier League and, and the EF. If you are relegated and you return to the Premier League, all of the unused parachute payments are returned to the Premier League and are split between the twenty clubs. So, if we take a look at what's happening this season, yeah, uh, you know, it looks like Fulham and B- Fulham are up, Bournemouth are up. Yeah. in effect, um, they uh, they will therefore save the Premier League sixty six million pounds wow. in parachute wow. payments uh, in, in respect of the next one or two seasons, respectively, um, and. Um, that means uh, each individual premier league club is going to get an extra 3 million pounds um, on on the back of that um and i think the the, the efl say and you, you can understand this uh, and, and there is an ongoing uh, there are ongoing discussions which are uh, discussions is another word for deep disagreements uh, um yeah. between the premier league and the efl that Oh, you know, if if they are parachute payments, yeah, why why can't we have another that sixty six million pounds and split that between our club because you know, we've spoken at length and also the you know, the fan led review proposals um, do talk about the, the the anomalies in in terms of distribution of monies. Um, so I, th- I think this is a bit of an own goal by by the Premier League, but uh, you know they they say well, it's it's our money and it's up to us to choose how we distribute it. Um, at present, it is anyway. Mm. Um, so, so it, it, uh, uh, if Norwich go down, um, they do not get uh, uh, the the parachute payments from the last time they were relegated, which was uh, in twenty twenty
0: itself. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 Um, Scott Cumming has our next question. Hello, Scott. Uh, and Scott is a Scott by well, the sound of it, because Scott says, I want to ask a question about my local team, Hamilton Ackies, Academicals. Um, oh, by the way, I think I should mention um, to listeners overseas, Kieran, and perhaps to some of our listeners here, that the uh, constant references to tractors uh, <laughs> are because a an MP, a Tory MP, has had to resign after being found watching pornography in the House of Commons. And he says the first time he watched it, it was an accident because he was researching tractors and Accidentally ended up on, as we said, a hardcore eye-watering porn site. Um, and I'm Scott, I'm sorry I interrupted your question to, to, to mention that uh, I'm worried now that Scott's a good chapel goer and be really unhappy that. Uh, Anyway, Scott says, uh, he's a Hamilton Academicals fan and he attended Aki's games very frequently a few years ago. There's always a good supporter base, decent-sized crowds, and the team always punched above their weight with a competitive squad compared to their playing budget and a rather natty kit, I have to say. So the club on the face of it seemed to be well-run and used resources well to remain competitive. Fast forward to today with dwindling attendances, uh, three figures for one recent midweek match, decimated playing squad compared to previous years, and rumours of a takeover from interested parties. So Scott wants to know, Kieran, what is the relative value of Hamilton Ackies as a club, and how much would an interested party need to pay to buy it?
1: Right. Um, I, I went into uh, the, the club's accounts, and then I found that it had a parent company called Edencrest Limited, and uh, according to Eden Crest Limited, uh, most recent accounts, and I'm a bit concerned that, that Hamilton Academical have not published their 2021 accounts yet. They're overdue. Um, and that gets on, on my naughty step. Because yes, it's the 1st of May today we're recording. That a number of clubs have just joined my naughty step because they, they've now exceeded the uh, the dates. Um, and uh, Eden Crest value the investment at £552,000, which – for a club that is getting only 140 fans, home fans at some matches, Mm. uh, seems to me to be a, a very generous figure. Um the club doesn't own the stadium that's rented and it's costing them 60,000 pounds a year from from the figures that i see um so I, I, you know, if somebody wanted to spend half a bil- half half a half a million pounds on on, on the club i think actually that would be quite a generous offer so yeah, i'm i'm really so- sorry to, to hear that the club's on hard times it's it's one of those clubs where we where, where as a football fan you, you grow up with a love of the name yes absolutely uh, before you before you even get to know the kit yeah um but uh, you, you you would certainly be looking for substantially less than a million pounds to acquire this club. Yeah,
0: they do have some great names in Scottish football. They really do. Like mm-hmm. As you say, as a kid, you're just fascinated by Queen of the South. Uh, <laughs> I'm still upset The Third Lanark aren't still playing football. Um, Joe Grant says, um, I have a recurring conversation with my friends, which makes me <laughs> assume that Joe Grant's friends are just going, oh, for the love of God, Joe, would you stop going on about this? Uh, But Joe says, I have a recurring conversation with my friends and wonder if you can actually shed some factual light on it, which, again, that's the bit that made me laugh, because Joe Grant's friends are going, you're making this up, Joe. You've got no proof of this. But uh, Joe says, he's given some background as to why I'm asking and would really appreciate your expertise, Uh, probably less so me taking the mickey out of his question. Uh, Joe says, I can understand in principle why Spurs had to curb their spending when they moved to the new stadium. At the same time, though, we posted record profits. So can you shed any light on why building the stadium meant we had less to spend on players? That's certainly an argument that Arsenal had as well, wasn't it, in the first few years they moved into the Emirates that Wenger's hands were sort of tied behind his back financially, wasn't it?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. And and I think it's it's a fair question, Joe. Um, The the reason why uh, Spurs uh, were... Fairly quiet in the in the transfer market, and and I've gone into the figures in my little spreadsheet this morning between 2011 and 2016. So we're talking about six seasons. Spurs spent a net eight million pounds in six seasons. No, which is that is all. Yeah, that is, I mean, yeah, they're doing that. They, they that included the sale of Bale. Right, but remember right, they yeah. they, <laughs> they famously um, uh, spaffed it on on a bunch of turkeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and, and nearly all of that, but yeah, it, it's amazing that they spent so little money, and, and yet still were you know, broadly competitive. Um, the, the reason for this was you, Joe's absolutely right. The club was making profits in those those years, but as far as the uh, stadium creation is concerned, and, and the total the total spending on property assets by Spurs, and this is the stadium and, and the training facilities and the academy, is one point three billion pounds. Um, Spurs were making profits, but the owners didn't want to borrow, they didn't want to go to the position of having a 100% mortgage. And also, nobody would have lent them 100% of the value of their property spent. So therefore, they, they had to effectively set money aside from the profits they were making. Um, to to put down as just just as you know, just as we, you know we remember the days when we bought a, a first house you know, you had to you had to put down ten percent or fifteen yeah. percent whatever it was in order to get a mortgage so Spurs had to put down a significant amount of money because that reduced the uh, that re- reduced the amount of borrowings and also I think more importantly allowed them to borrow at very low interest rates because they were seen to be a low credit risk because they were putting up a large amount of the money themselves so. Um, that that's the logic behind that, and, and what I would say is that you know since twenty sixteen they they've gone you know instead of eight eight million over six years, their net spend has been two hundred and seventy million. So right. you know I, I think the model has worked in that now that they're generating so much more money from the stadium and, and their their gate receipts have gone from around about thirty five to forty million a season to probably hitting one hundred and twenty this year. Um, so, yeah, you know, there, there are there are significant advantages. And, and now they're in a position to to be fishing in a different pool when it comes to player recruitment. So it, it's a case of tightening the belt for a few years to allow
0: themselves to be in a much better, far more sustainable position these days. Joe's going to be delighted. Joe will be walking in the pub tonight going to see. Kieran McGuire said it was a fair question. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, Kieran, you remember last week we had a, a question from an Australian listener, an expat, who, <clears throat> who said that he loved being reminded of old English expressions from his childhood, like mugged him off. Yes. How excited is he going to be to hear you say, spaffed it on a bunch of turkeys? <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I'm, I'm just now living for the day when Mika Richards on Sky says, Oh, they've spaffed it on a bunch of turkeys. Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, Chris Chantry has a question. You've got people all over the world now, Kieran, looking for loopholes in the financial fair play rules. And this is a one. It is a cracking one. And Chris may have come up with one here. Chris says, with more clubs using fan tokens, could a club invent fans? as a way of putting money into the club and potentially bypass FFP rules? Or could it have been a way for Bill Kenwright to donate the million pound he offered to Bury FC before being denied by Football League rules? Um, yes, uh,
1: there, there's, there's there's two ways of circumventing financial fair play, profit, profitability and sustainability, financial sustainability, whatever the people, whatever the suits are going to call them um a it's to artificially deflate or or post costs elsewhere Uh, and and secondly it's to artificially inflate revenues so we we know that revenues come from tv money well that's easy to check you know because the sky pay money to the premier league premier league pay money to the club so you know that's that that's that that's a stated number um in terms of match day income if if your matched if your match day income goes from you know 80 million to 150 million and you've got the same number of fans and the same season ticket prices somebody's go oi oi yeah. um, what's what's going on here then but when it comes to fan tokens or nfts in relation to football clubs because uh, a lot of the transactions are being paid for in in uh, in Bitcoin you know, in uh, in cryptocurrencies, and because it's all being uh, monitored via blockchain, you have the benefit of anonymity as a buyer. So, is there anything to stop the, a club having an auction of uh, NFTs? Um, and, and Liverpool had a recent auction, and the prices for the NFTs going, blimey, O'Reilly. I wasn't expecting, uh, yeah. I wasn't expecting a, a a picture of our our left back, uh, you know, sort of giving a gurning for you know, a smiling face, thumbs up, and, and and there's there's a cartoon mongoose in the background, <laughs> which which is sort of yeah, you know, that that adds to the sort of the the NFT vibe, um, and, and and somebody's paid five million quid for that, yeah. and go. Well, well, know, yeah, he's paid it, and uh, how how can we prove that's fair value? Because th- there is there is no there is no market value because they're unique assets. Um, so yes, I, I think I think Chris here has has stumbled across and, and fair play to you, Chris has come across a way which would allow clubs uh, to to uh, increase their revenues. Um, it's uh, as we've said before, I've got nothing against NFTs at all in the sense that uh, they if, if if they're collectibles, yeah, we, we were talking about people paying huge sums for shirts, yeah, earlier. If, if you if, if and yeah, we've all got mates, and we may, may be guilty of this ourselves as well, uh, yeah, of, of of collecting things. Mm. Um, I, I was talking to uh, a guy. Uh, earlier this week who owns over 150 cameras I go. Well, why, why don't you choose your phone <laughs> But he says well he we do not understand kieran i said well you can't can't carry 150 cameras how, how do you how do you work out which camera?" yeah i, said, I, I don't get it yeah. uh, and and he's got a collection of typewriters and ancient you know, old typewriters as well so you know it's, it's whatever floats your boat as a collector and, and 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 if you get pleasure from that great absolutely fine what I don't like to do is to hear people with the dog whistle, this is an investment. Yeah. If you don't buy this, yeah. you're missing out. Yeah. And yeah. I've made millions out of it. You could be a million because that is all Ponzi scheme. Um, but, uh, that, yeah, from, from from what I can make out, I, I think Chris has come up with an absolutely spiffing point here. And uh, I'd I'd imagine, because uh, let's face it, we do know that this show is listened to in, in, in a few offices it at uh, clubs. People are going, Oh, okay. Let's let
0: I think we need to investigate this a bit further. <laughs> uh, well done, Chris. You've, you've got the, yeah. the ultimate accolade, of spiffing from Kieran Maguire. <laughs> um, our penultimate question comes from Conor Gallagher. Um, I doubt very much if it. Is that Conor Gallagher? <laughs> I was thinking. Uh, was it's, 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 he's probably too busy, but it, it could be somebody who's clever enough to think, well, he's definitely going to read out a question from Conor Gallagher, isn't he? Uh, as it happened, I have read this question out whoever sent it, but thank you, Conor Gallagher. It's, it's one of those things where it, it never occurred to me before, but you suddenly go, oh, that's interesting. Because uh, Connor says, how much has the recent success of Juventus increased the value of Torino, which, of course, is the other team in that fair city? I have to imagine part of the appeal of purchasing Manchester City was it having as a local rival one of the biggest teams in the world. So in the last few years, Juventus have become one of the biggest clubs in the world, which makes me wonder why there haven't been any attempts, at least that I know about, to purchase Torino. It's an interesting one, that, Kieran. It is um juventus 's current
1: market value because Juventus are a club which is traded on the stock exchange it 's around about six hundred and fifty million quid, which is it 's a bit less you know, it 's yeah. a quarter of Chelsea it's, it's, yeah.
0: yeah absolutely
1: so, um, but that that 's because they the the Italian TV deal is not as as, as generous juventus haven 't made as much progress as Chelsea and the premier League clubs in in the Champions League in recent years and so. on. Um, there's issues, issues to do
0: with the stadium, but the stadium is better. Um, yeah, so it only holds, as we found out recently, it only holds about forty-four thousand, doesn't it? The- yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think, and uh,
1: I, 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 I don't know whether Connor is a mischievous Manchester United fan as well, <laughs> because uh, I, I think the Manchester City fans will be bristling, to put it mildly. Just, uh, yeah, yeah. The only reason, the only reason why Mansoor, uh bought bought City. Is because uh, yeah, it's four miles from Old Trafford. Going, oh, okay. uh, pal, pal. We, we, we need to have a word here. <laughs> you see, the, you, you see other people with the name Gallagher wanting to uh, take him outside <laughs> and have a word. Should we say it's pretty quite mildly, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I personally think that ultimately the, the the value of a club is determined by the opportunities to generate cash for that club in its own right because you know you you support palace is palace's value impacted by being in the same city as as spurs arsenal and chelsea yeah I, I, palace is south london and proud yeah. you know and yeah. uh yeah, and, and you've got your own identity you've got your own area i think it's the same with torino um yeah you know, there's there's no evidence that everton, everton are worth more money because liverpool are being so successful so yeah, and and if anything, it, it, it actually makes it that much more difficult because you, if you are in the shadow, you know, in a city of another club, then it's difficult to build up your fan base because when you're growing up as a kid, you, there's always a choice. Whereas, yeah, you know, if, if you're growing up in Mansfield, you, you become a Mansfield fan. Uh, yeah, you know, in 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 the main, if, if you, you know, because that's the club you, you know, your your, your mum or your dad or whoever is going to take you along to. Um. So I'm not convinced that uh, it's beneficial for Torino because ultimately the value of that club is determined by that club's ability to generate money from sponsors and ticket sales and so on, and you've actually got a competitor for that money
0: in in, in your same city. When my dad, God rest him, was ill a few years ago, uh, he was in hospital for quite some time with a mystery infection, but one of his specialist nurses was... Uh, from Turin was a huge football fan and I was delighted to discover according to him that uh, I don't know what the Italian word for plastic is uh, but real <laughs> real people from Turin support Torino Turin, he told me in no uncertain terms and that if you're from Turin you didn't support Juventus the, he got quite passionate about the fact that he, as I pointed out he ended up supporting the wrong club which is exactly what I know for a fact. If I'd been born in Turin, I'd be I'd be a Torino fan, not Juventus. Unfortunately, um, our last question comes from Paul Beard, and again, it's um, it's a prescient one and it's a it's a topical one. And Paul Beard says, in the event of a club being brought by a despot who is later overthrown, what effect would that have on the club? For instance, um, famously, as he says, um, Gaddafi's child Nipper, he wanted to buy a Palace all those years ago. And then the civil war happened. Where would Palace have stood in regard to the sanctions placed on the Libyan regime and the fact that our owner would have been wanted for crimes against humanity, arrested and subsequently executed? Then the bit that I like is Paul's PS. Obviously, this question was prompted by many hours of pointless bickering with Newcastle fans. (laughs) Or or welcome to Twitter, as it's more commonly known. (laughs) Yes. But it's an interesting question though because it's one of those things that I've pointed out to many Palace fans who are rightly concerned about the Saudi takeover of Newcastle that when the rumour was that Gaddafi's eldest child wanted to buy Palace, there were many Palace fans only too willing to turn a blind eye uh, to the fact that he was Colonel Gaddafi's son if he got us into the Champions League. So, you know, we're all, mm. we're all hypocrites to an extent. But it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's a kind of extension of the you know, Abramovich question and the the Newcastle issue.
1: Yes. Um, as, as far as the, the clubs are concerned, it, it's really a case, and, and it goes back, it, you know, and I, I know we harp on about it, is that there are many, many clubs in football who are one owner or one ownership decision. Away from financial catastrophe, yeah. if if a club had been bought by a despot and uh, that club had been used as a sports washing or a a, a personal executive toy um, and was incurring substantial losses, and remember, yeah, we, we've said before, Chelsea Chelsea lost over nine hundred thousand pounds a week for yeah. every single week wow. of ownership under yeah. Roman Abramovich, um, that. Puts the the club at financial risk, and, and the only reason why Chelsea is still going today is the government decided to relax the license because yeah, you know, when it froze its assets, yeah. ch- ch- Chelsea were knackered yeah. because they, they would not be in a position to to pay the wage bill for the for, for March, April, and May. They've had to go back to Abramovich and say, "Will you will you invest more money in the club?" Um, so a, a lot would depend upon what would be the nature of the sanctions. Uh, if uh, you know it. Yeah, and what's happened at Libya uh, – Yeah, yeah I'm, 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 this isn't a geopolitical show uh, – but what has happened at Libya since the fall of yeah. Gaddafi, uh, it, it, is, yeah. it is very, very unpleasant yeah. there at present because it's effectively being run by a series of warlords and it's all factional and so on. Um, then, presumably, somebody would still have to be the shareholder. Um, those shares would have to be sold – if it was a, it was far more of a for sale valuation. Then there's not going to be a lot of money to go around, and and you've got a problem. Whoever comes in to buy the club, they still acquire the legacy contract. So if you've got a load of players who were effectively being overpaid given the club's standalone financial resources, there's a, there's a limited pool of people. Uh, who are who are willing to take on those losses? But as we've seen with Chelsea, you know, a limited pool still means more than one. So I, I suspect the club would carry on. Uh, in, in all probability, um, there might have been a reset in, in terms of its ability to spend money in the markets. And you know, I, I think uh, I, one of the things which which you know has, I, and I, I genuinely love what I do for you know, for, for a living mm. is the the sense of. There are so many fans who think that the role of a club owner is to spend as much money as possible to to indulge like like a spoilt child in a in a McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, I want to have every single product there um, because we 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 need to be the grown ups in the room as well as
0: as as other stakeholders in the game. Mm. Tickets are now on sale for the second price of football live on Tuesday, May the 10th at the Wham Stadium, home of Accuracy Stadium. It's, it's just a week away here, isn't it? It is. Uh, there are, uh, there's a few tickets available, not many, but uh, there are still a few left. Uh, it would be lovely to see you. Um, click on the link in the description of this episode or look at our social media feed to get your ticket now. Uh, thanks to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. And if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our Always Free to Air pod, go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And, of course, if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well as always
1: folks thanks so much for the feedback and the support for the show uh as far as patreon is concerned for as little as a pound a month you can you can show some financial support but you don't have to go down that route um you you can uh if you want to pop along to your uh, podcast app and and give us a review it uh, it helps us in terms of the algorithms um and uh if you give us five stars it it boosts us up the charts which means that you know we can attract sponsors for the show it helps us to to book guests as well because that that's, tends to be the first thing to look at you know, who, who are these people um when, when we start to ask um and it, and it doesn't matter what you say um uh, in the in the reviews uh yes yesterday i i went to uh wolverhampton wanderers versus brighton and uh yeah, I, I was talking to to kevin and, and producer guy before yeah you know, i i set off at Quarter to seven in the morning, uh, due to the vagaries of the the UK tra- train system. Um, but I was delighted to uh, meet uh, somebody who could say uh, part of the tribe of Burberry apes, um, <laughs> and yeah, we, we we know we know what we're talking about here. It's it, it's a person who. Uh, just gone half past seven in the morning thinks it's it's cool to be wearing the Aquascutum scarf <laughs> the the burberry jacket the uh the, the the flat cap straight from peaky blinders and he, he was there with his plastic carrier bag from the local office and was opening a can of fosters with his teeth before joining up with his fellow members of the tribe so i think it, well you yeah, know we, we I, I think we, we need we need we need Sir David Attenborough to investigate the Burberry apes in their natural habitat. I think that'd be a fascinating show for the BBC at a time time when the uh at a time when the license fee is under pressure. And so you could say you'd rather have the show presented by Sir David Attenborough and Boris Becker, and and it and it wouldn't bother us. It wouldn't bother myself or Kevin. We'd be quite happy. I
0: I'd listen to that show. I think it'd be fascinating. I, uh, sadly, Boris Becker is uh, currently unavailable. I'm guessing, unless yes. unless he's sent to the most open prison you could imagine. <laughs> what a terrible! I I I met him uh, a couple of times. Uh, just what a terrible come down. Really, yes. it's just heartbreaking, isn't it? Really, but there you go. So David Attenborough, on the other hand, he would be fantastic. I'd like you to, it. Would the pod would be twice as long, of course, but <laughs> but it would be it would be worth a listen, wouldn't it? Bye, everybody. Yeah. By the provides son for vote of
1: the provides son for vote of.